I want to share three stories in quick uh, succession uh, to establish what is known as the law of unintended consequences. The first story has to do, do with Julius Caesar. In the days of ancient Rome, there was a group of senators, about 60 of them, who were very loyal to the Republic and who feared that Julius Caesar was going to make his dictatorship permanent and establish himself as the emperor of the Roman Empire. So in 44 BC, they hatched up a plan to assassinate him, which they did so successfully, and thereby restoring the Republic. Julius Caesar had a nephew, his name was uh, a 19-year-old called Gaius Octavius, who in the ensuing chaos and power vacuum, quickly rose to assume power, and he defeated the famous General Mark Antony, and permanently ended the Republic by establishing a de facto monarchy. His name was changed to Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, who by the way was the emperor in the days of Jesus' birth. And after the death of Julius Caesar, they discovered that he never intended to create a monarchy. And the conspirators brought about precisely what they tried to stop. This is the law of unintended consequences. The second story revolves around 19th century India under the British rule. Uh, the authorities were confronted with the problems of, of cobras and there were too many snakes on the streets of Delhi. <laughs> It made life very difficult for the British residents and their families. And so to solve the problem, the British offered a reward for every dead cobra that the residents would bring in. And soon these enterprising locals began to breed cobras in order to make a living from the bounty. The government caught on this program, cancelled the program, and this angered the breeders, who then in their frustrations decided to release all the cobras back into the streets, now tripling the population of snakes before the government program. Again, an unintended consequence. One more story. The surprise attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, 1941, was intended to decimate the US naval force in one single blow and bring America to its knees. Instead, it shook the American public out of its deep isolationism, ensured total mobilization of the country's resources, manpower, and not only to defeat the Japanese, but obliterate her military as well. This is called the law of unintended consequences. And wisdom warns us there comes a point in time when we ignore her and ignore her. It becomes too late to avoid the fallout and the consequences and repercussions. Proverbs tells us that wisdom cries out in the streets. She raises her voice in the open squares. She calls us to turn at my rebuke. Stop being rebellious. Stop scorning. Stop being ignorant. It says the Lord, and I will pour out my spirit on you and make my words known to you. God gives wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, to protect us from things like bankruptcy, things like addictions, sexually transmitted diseases, mental breakdowns, divorce, conflicts, poverty. But if you keep rejecting wisdom, then there are consequences that you have to face. You can't kick the can down the road and, and don't think that things are not gonna happen. There are many stories in the Bible that illustrate this law. I think of Eve listening to the serpent tempt her and then being deceived and instead of the wisdom that she and her husband so craved for, the opposite happened and their sin brought countless millions into the pit of hell. I think of Abraham listening to his wife's clever idea of sleeping with the maid Hagar 
and to assist God in the promised child and the pain of decision is still being felt even today. I think of Haman, the viceroy of the Persian Empire, seeking to exterminate the Jewish people and the opposite happens here, his whole family and, and the enemies of Israel end up being annihilated. But no other story in the Bible best depicts this principle than the story of David and Bathsheba. David was a prodigy. He was one in a million. He was everything that God wanted in a leader. He was fearless, he was courageous, he was a lover of God, he was a worshiper, displayed wisdom in every decision he made. And above all, he was a man after God's own heart. Shortly after being anointed by Samuel, he went on to kill a giant, marries the king's daughter, becomes best friend to the king's favorite son, gets promoted to be the captain of the guard, and everything is going hunky-dory till one day, coming back from a battle, they were singing a song and the spirit of jealousy comes on Saul, tries to kill David. David flees the palace as a fugitive, spends something like 13 years in the wilderness, uh, hiding from a bloodthirsty king who was out to kill him. And finally, at the age of 30, he ascends the throne of Judah. The first 10 chapters of the book of Samuel, 2 Samuel, David could do no wrong. He was undefeated in battles. He was never wrong in his judgment. His enemies were subdued. The nation was unified and the boundaries lines of Israel's enlarged from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles, all in the first 10 chapters of 2 Samuel. Before chapter 11, all David knew as king was victory, triumph, glory, but everything changed when we come to chapter 11. What happened at chapter 11? He saw a UFO, an undressed female object. And that one error in his life led him down a horrendous path of unintended consequences. His life that had been so successful would take a nosedive and he would never be the same again. After chapter 11, all he knew was heartbreak, sorrow, and trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, over the years, there's been some very monumental shipwrecks. Uh, shipwrecks. Perhaps the most famous of all was the tragedy of the Titanic. In nautical history, there are three inescapable consequences of being shipwrecked. Number one, shipwrecks will take you farther than you intended to go. We end up saying things like, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I planned for. This is not how it had planned, panned out. This is too painful for me. That's the consequence of a shipwreck. Number two, shipwrecks will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And number three, shipwrecks will cost you more than you intended to pay. And that's exactly what happened to David. David experienced shipwreck and because of his error, was plunged into such pain and agony beyond what a normal person could endure. I think any other person would have buckled under the load, but the pain and chastisement was necessary to bring David back on course and then of course to restore him so that he could finish strong, which he eventually did by the grace of God uh, and uh, the kindness of God. Now, the plight of the Titanic is the most famous shipwreck in history, but the sin of David with Bathsheba is the most mo famous moral shipwreck in all of history. And they both have something in common and allow me to just draw a parallel. On the 10th of April, 1912, the Titanic embarked on her maiden voyage from Southampton to New York City in America. The ship was so carefully structured, so meticulously engineered, it was called the ship that God Himself could not sink. It was four city blocks long and carried the most up-to-date safety devices, 
but she had only 20 lifeboats for the 2,200 passengers. Did you know that although the Titanic was the most brilliant and beautiful ship built at that time, it only sailed five days. Despite her grand send-off, we all know the history, it's, it hit an iceberg and sank in two hours, 40 minutes, a total of 1,523 people lost their lives in the greatest shipwreck in the history of mankind. But if you really knew the truth, the, the Titanic shipwreck long before she hit the iceberg, how did this happen? Well, the crew failed to uh, heed repeated warnings of imminent, imminent danger for almost her entire journey. The Titanic was warned repeatedly of the icy conditions. On the 14th of April, 1912, the ship received at least six messages describing icebergs on the course directly ahead. The first message came from the Atenae, and the message was not posted until five hours later. The second message came at 7.30 p.m. from the Antillian. It was not shown to the captain. Why? Because the captain was having dinner. Another message came from the Masebar, and that message was not taken to the bridge because the wireless operator was working alone, couldn't leave his equipment. Final message came from the Californian. That message too was interrupted because the operator uh, was too impatient. At 10.30, there was a warning from the Rappahannock whose messages, land messages about the heavy field ice directly ahead was briefly acknowledged by the Titanic, but nobody, nobody heeded the warnings. Six times on the 14th of April, the Titanic was warned of the danger and all six occasions, she chose to ignore those warnings. The same thing happened with David. David actually shipwrecked morally Years before he ever saw Bathsheba step into the shower. He set a course of his own shipwreck the moment he married a second wife. He then married a third wife, then married a fourth wife, then married a fifth wife. And by the time he was 30, he had married six wives. I don't know how you can spin this, ladies and gentlemen, but I tell you the truth is, David was a polygamist, which simply means he had many wives. God's will for David, as it is for all of us, is to be a one-woman man, and if a woman is to be a one-man woman, amen. But David wanted to be a many-wife man, and by doing so, engineered his own personal shipwreck. Most people didn't realize what was happening to David. All the warning signals on the dashboard were blinking, but he paid no attention. On the outside, he looked successful. On the outside, he was very always victorious. But on the inside, something was happening. It was, there was a decay that was going on the inside. And I think that describes some of us here today. That on the outside, you may look pretty hunky-dory. But on the inside, there is a decay that's going on. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, watch those warning signals. One time, Jesus was passing a fig tree. It all the appearance of having fruit, but it's, it was all these leaves are on the fig tree, but not a single fruit. And Jesus cursed it, which he totally rotted the next day. It had every appearance of being fruitful, but it was dead on the inside. It was an object lesson, of course, on hypocrisy. We gotta be careful, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that the inner life is on fire. Hallelujah, amen. Amen. Now, you have to understand something of the culture of David's day, during David's time, all the kings of the surrounding nations had multiple wives and concubines. They all had their personal harems, but Israel was not called to be like the other nations. Amen. David was not to follow after the examples of the other kings of, Israel, of, of the nations, and in his gut, he knew it. 
Every time he married another woman, I think it must have eaten him up. It must have really struggled. He, but he wouldn't heed those warnings. He refused to change his course every time he considered taking an additional wife. I believe the Holy Spirit would say to him, David, this is not the way. David ignored those warnings. Do you know what the greatest tragedy of both shipwrecks are? Both of them could have been avoided if they only heeded the warnings. How many times have the Holy Spirit warned us, warned us, and warned us, but we persisted in our plowing ahead in our own disobedience, only to wish and regret we could turn back the clock. If only I didn't marry that person. If only I didn't sign that contract. If only I had been, not been so greedy. If only I had not taken that overseas job. If only I had not clicked on that button. Last week a gentleman came and he was weeping and I went up to pray for him. I said, what's wrong, sir? He said, I pressed the wrong button and all my money was gone in a scam. Like that. Immediately. If only, if only, if only. In Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 14 to 17, God gave a command to the kings that would govern Israel. He made it very clear that the kings of Israel must not multiply three things. Number one, horses. Number two, gold. And number three, wives. And David knew these commandments. Why didn't God want kings to multiply horses? Because horses and the chariots they drove were awesome war machines in the days of antiquity. And the Lord says, I don't ever want you to trust in horses. I don't ever want you to trust in chariots. I want you to trust in me. Amen. And David understood the principle. So every time he conquered a nation, he would hamstring all the horses. He would burn all the chariots because he knew something that people did not know. That some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our Lord, our God. Amen. That's the first part of the commandment. David also multiplied gold, but at the end of his life gave much of that away. But there is a third part of the commandment. This one, he chose to ignore. When it came to the battlefield, David was always obedient. When it came to the bedroom, ah, he, he had issues there. Picture this. He's 16, 17 at the most. He's anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. He ascends the throne at 30. Okay. When he was anointed, he had no wives. By the time he assumed the throne at 30, he had six wives. David's first wife was Michal, the daughter of Saul. I think David was really attracted to her physically. He was willing to cut the foreskins of three, 200 Philistines just to provide the dowry. Woo! When David was on the run from Saul, Michal was given to a, by her father to another man, thus ending the marriage. Now we come to 1 Samuel chapter 25, which I think is a fascinating chapter. In this chapter, we are introduced to a wise, courageous, and beautiful woman who is destined, I believe with all my heart, to be the wife of David. I think this chapter deals with the issue, is there someone out there who is the right person for me? Does God actually have someone to be my helpmeet, someone He has chosen, and vice versa? Now, of course, I say in the church, don't you ever go around to someone of the opposite sex and say, I believe that you're going to be my wife one day. Uh, we don't do <laughs> That's not permitted in Cornerstone, all right? There are 44 verses in 1 Samuel 25. One verse had to do with the death of Samuel. One verse had to do with Ahinoam, David's second wife. One verse only. One verse had to do with Michal being given to another man. 41 verses has to do with this one woman called Abigail. Woo! 
In this chapter, we see her bravery, we see her beauty, we see her wisdom. But it's unfortunate that the chapter ends by saying that David married another woman, Ahinoam. If there was an alternative to this title of the message, I would have named it David and his three wives, because this is how I see it. Abigail was God's choice for David. Ahinoam was David's choice. And Michal was man's choice. Now, when God's choice and your choice come together, it's a good thing. Amen. Proverbs 18 verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. In every marriage, I quote this verse because I'm telling you, the moment you get married, God says, I'm going to give you favor for this. Amen. But look at verse 19 and chapter 19 and verse 14. It says, A prudent wife is from the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, what can be more wonderful in life than when, that when God gives you a prudent wife? Amen. There's a big difference I've discovered in life between a wife and a prudent wife. Amen. Abigail, after Abigail, David married Ahinoam, the second wife, then Makkah, then Haggit, then Abitel, then Igla. My goodness, what a name. This is my wife, Igla. Okay. Six wives he married in Hebron, and then when he went to Zion, he married even more wives. And he ignored God's commandment to have many wives, and David ended up with a very messed up, dysfunctional family. Polygamy was David's problem, and he passed it down to Solomon, his son. And Solomon ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. Ladies and gentlemen, when you have 700 wives, you've got 700 mother-in-laws too. How do you handle 700 wives? I don't know. I can't even handle one. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3, and the wives turn the heart of, of Solomon away. That's exactly word for word what Deuteronomy 17, verse 17 says. God's word has a way of proving itself. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't deal with the besetting sins, if you don't deal with the little foxes that spoil the vine, there's a high probability you will pass it down to your children. And I can tell you this, my friends, you see this on a daily basis. Uh, my grandfather was an angry man. My father was an angry man. I'm an angry man. But do you want to see your children to be angry? If not, break the cycle, my friends. Break the cycle. You don't have to pass it down to your children. I see some of my negative traits in my children and I'm praying that God would break them in their lives. But how much better if we don't pass it down to our children? Are there any other wives in your life, my friends? The first man's wife may be called Sarah, Dorothy, whatever. The second wife may be pornography. Third wife may be soap porn movie. I'm just saying, right? And some of us may, be, may think, ah, those activities are not wives. But they are. David couldn't watch a dirty movie, but he, to have his desires fulfilled, he just married more wives. And that was David's kryptonite. It was his weak point. Then these wives bore children. What kind of children? They bother, if you marry pornography, it will bear the children, the children of guilt and shame, my friends. And many people who are addicted to pornography know what I'm talking about. You come into the church and you feel this terrible shame and the devil is accusing you all the time. You hypocrite, you hypocrite. Deal with the problem, my friends, amen. If you don't put these wives away, you could be on the same course that the Titanic and David charted, you should know. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not too late. It is not too late for you to change course. You don't have to keep moving towards those killer icebergs. There's plenty of open sea. 
And it's not too late to say, full left rudder, amen. Let's get out of here. Flee temptation. There's absolutely no reason in the world for you to keep steaming along in the wrong direction unless you're too hardened to listen. My friends, you don't have to suffer shipwreck. I just have some scriptures to solidify this. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, he will also sow reap. This is the law of sowing and reaping, by the way. And it never fails to work. Verse 8 says, He who sows to the flesh will reap of the flesh corruption. And he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Galatians 5, 16 says, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires and the lusts of the flesh. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lusts after the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and they are contrary to one another. Contrary to one another. If you give one inch to the devil, I promise you he will put his foot in the door. You invite him for dinner, he'll bring his pajamas. There's a story told of a Haitian pastor, whether it's a myth or whether it's a true story, I want you to judge this, but there is a very important illustration. A man wanted to sell his house, another man came to buy it. The other man was not a rich man, he was a poor man, and so this first guy says, all right, I'll sell you my house, but on one condition, there is a nail, this is big nail on the door, that nail is mine, I can do whatever I want with it. They signed the agreement, and several years later, the first guy wants to buy the house back. Second guy says, no, I'm not willing to sell it to you. And then he goes out and finds a dead carcass of a dog and comes and hangs it on the nail. And the man says, you can't do it. I says, of course I can. I, I told you this is the condition. I bought the house. I sold you the house with this condition. That nail is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. And soon the house became unlivable. The family was forced to sell the house back to the original owner. Whether this is a fable or whether it's a true story, here's the crux. You leave the devil one single nail, one little peg in your life, boy, he's going to come back with rotten garbage and he's going to hang it on your home and you may own the entire home, but you give the enemy access to just one small peg. I guarantee you, you're going to have problems. And Jesus said, the ruler of this world is coming, but he will have nothing in me. In other words, he can't find a single nail to hang anything on. Amen. Now let's uh, return to the three statements that I made earlier. And I want to just elaborate on this a little bit more and then close in prayer. Number one, shipwrecks will take you further than you wanted to go. The captain of the Titanic was Captain Smith, who was, had the honor of uh, commanding the Titanic's first maiden voyage. 59 years old, the trip was to be his last. Uh, he, when he got off the ship from New York, he planned to retire. He was in good health. There were many things he wanted to accomplish. He wanted to go as far as New York, but because of the shipwreck, he went further down than he wanted to, something like 30,000 feet into an icy cold coffin. He didn't plan to go that far. All right. David stood on the balcony watching Bathsheba shower. The only thing in his mind was to enjoy what he was watching. But that as far as he wanted to go, but you know, sin will take you further than what you wanted to. So one thing led to another. And the next thing that happens, David has Bathsheba on his bed. The next thing happens, she's pregnant. Did David foresee this? Of course not. This is not the road that David planned to take. To cover up his sins, he sends the husband to lie with her, but he refused because the army was fighting and I will not sleep with my wife while the army is fighting. And he was a far more honorable man than David was. So David arranged for Uriah to be sent into the fiercest part of the battle, plotted his murder, 
and Uriah gets killed. David marries Bathsheba and no one would have been the wiser except for one thing, God was watching. To cover up his sin, David did all these things. He was driving on a fast lane for so long on the highway of sexual gratification. And with Bathsheba, he only planned to exit at the exit called adultery. He said, that's as far as I'll go. But the momentum of his deceit took him all the way to murder and then to cover up. If you're on that highway, my friends, maybe you need to press the brake and exit straight away. Press the brakes. Or you might just end up further down than you are willing to, to go. And believe me, Believe me, it's tough. It's agonizingly tough to get back on track if you've gone the wrong way. The last year, we saw a lot of famous politicians, famous church leaders being caught in very embarrassing situations and they don't ever come back. That's the sad part. They don't ever come back. It's very difficult. Now, God can forgive you, but sometimes, oh my goodness, the pain and the shame that you have to bear. There were very many notable passengers on the Titanic who lost their lives, went down with the ship. They were stalled permanently. They were deceived into thinking that every possible safety measure had been taken, but over 1,500 passengers lost their lives. They were kept longer than they wanted to stay. Finally, when Nathan the prophet confronts David, it was about nearly 12 months that had passed by. David's conscience must have been eating him up. Uh, he knew what he did was wrong. The Lord was convicting him. He refused to admit. He refused to confess his sin. He would, there was this inner decay. And ladies and gentlemen, you read the Psalms, it's terrible because David was plagued by some disease. He had venereal diseases all over his sores and boils and he was dying. He was dying, there was this inner decay and the, finally the prophet comes and says, David, you're the man. And then he repented and the, the Lord healed him and of course this whole process of being restored was a long one. Ladies and gentlemen, sin kept him longer than he wanted to stay. Finally, shipwrecks will cost you more than you want to pay. The passengers of Titanic who booked the first class all paid huge amounts of money to have the very best. Yet this was a trip that cost everyone far more than they were willing to pay. And it was no different with David. You know, David ultimately confessed and repented of his sin. That was not the end of it. There were consequences that followed, all right? You sow, you reap, okay? So it cost him the life of his uh, newborn son, infant son. It cost him the life of his oldest son, Amnon. It was Amnon, this Amnon that raped his daughter, Tamar. It cost him the life of Absalom, who was killed in battle. It cost him the everything when he had to flee from the palace, from his own son. It cost him many friends. It cost him Adonijah, another of his sons that died in the days of Solomon. After this sin, I'm telling you, there's only one word that describes the rest of David's life. Trouble. Trouble. So the next time sin looks particularly attractive to you, remember the consequences of sin that haunted David for the rest of his life. And no matter how, and no matter how beautiful, how alluring it looks, ladies and gentlemen, it will cost you far more than you're willing to pay and far more than you're willing to stay. Finally, the question I want to ask, did, did David finish strong in spite of this failure? Yeah, you bet he did. In spite of all his sin, in spite of his disobedience, God took him to greater heights and he's the only person in the Bible, the only man in the Bible 
whose name is mentioned in the millennial reign of Christ as the Prince of Jerusalem. What an honor for God to take a man in the pit of adultery and then raise him all the way to be the king in the millennial reign of... He's the only name that's mentioned in the entire, in the entire scriptures about his position in the millennial reign of Christ. What a great God we serve. Amen? I know you can't unscramble eggs, but you can make a pretty nice souffle out of it. Amen? God can work all things for our good, but it's better that we don't fall and learn from the mistakes of others instead of learning from our own mistakes. Amen? I want to close with a prophetic word that God gave to us at the start of the year. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 28, but let a man examine himself. Yep. And then in verse 31 to 32, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please stand with me? I'd like to just take a few moments to pray. There are people here today that are decaying on the inside and the Lord knows who you are. And He wants you to, to cry out to Him and say, God, I need to press the brakes. I need to get out of this highway of sexual gratification or whatever it might be, the highway of greed. And maybe it's the highway of pride. and Maybe it's the highway of, of wealth. I don't know what that highway is, but maybe you need to just press the brakes and say, God, please save me, Lord. Save me, deliver me. There are people here today that you're, you're just driving down and all the warning signals are, are blinking. You need to take heed to what the Holy Spirit is saying. My friends today you don't have to go down the same route as David you don't have to fall into the sin you don't have to to fall into the trap of the Titanic and God is speaking to you please don't uh, ignore those warnings those repeated warnings of the Holy Spirit he is speaking to many people here today he's saying this is not the way this is not the way this is not the way and if you will choose to obey him he you will spare yourself so much pain so much pain, when that urge to sin comes, you got to say, God, deliver me, Lord, set me free. I've seen too many Christians being sent to prison, too many Christians for, for silly things like, like peeping and, uh, um, you know, and, and molestation. And the Lord says, no more, enough of this, enough of this. He wants His church. He wants His bride. Hallelujah. Be set free in Jesus' name. Don't do anything that will cause you to be an offense. Please, I pray thee, in the name of Jesus. Don't let those youthful lusts overtake you. Come on, pray in the Spirit right now. God is speaking to some people here right now. I know. Some of you are at the brink of a shipwreck. Don't, don't uh, accept the temptation to take a bribe, to cut corners. This week, we saw a politician in trouble because he broke the rules. Now, I don't know if it's fair or not. This is not for us to commend, but I'm just telling you this, my friends, if you are a Christian, the, the, the Lord is watching us very closely, how we would respond. Let us have clean hands and a pure heart, amen. Let us make the ascension to the hill of the Lord, hallelujah. 
those who have clean hands and a pure heart who will not swear deceitfully and does not lift up their eye, their souls to vanity or to an idol. So come on, pray in the Spirit. And some of you today, right now, you need to confess. You need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I need to exit, Lord, the highway of sexual gratification. I need to exit the highway of fame and fortune in the name of Jesus. Come on, I pray. My friends, you just ask the Lord right now. Cry out to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The fire of God is coming upon the church. Hallelujah. It's going to go into the nations. We've got to get ready for what God is doing. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. My brothers and sisters, I'm going to close in a few moments. But I want to just exhort you. If you will judge yourself, if you will judge yourself, then you will not be judged. Chris Birkeland had a very powerful experience, prophetic experience they shared with me about eight months, ten months ago. He said, the Lord said to him, if you, you tell my people, if they would judge themselves, they would not be judged for in 16 to 18 months. He said, I will deal with people in the church and you're not, not just referring to Cornerstone but the church globally but I tell you this God is patient uh, He's the God of the second chance He's the God of the third chance He's the God of the fourth chance He's the God of the 20th chance but He's also the God of the last chance and His limits and there's mercy there's limits to His mercy there will come a day where God says alright enough is enough all right, and you got to respond to that before that actually happens, my friend. Oh, Mashanda, Lord, please preserve Cornerstone, Lord. Please preserve us. Please preserve the leadership, Lord, from embarrassing your name, Lord. Oh, Rashanda Rabahandai. Oh, Rashanda Rabasataraba. Oh, Lord, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord, on our church. Clean us up, Lord. Clean us up, Lord. Clean us up, Lord. You know, my friends, I want to just say this, that the church is a fiduciary duty. That if you ever come to us and committed a crime, it's my job and responsibility to report this to the police. That's what I have to do. And I, I'm just begging you, please, that you do not cross the line, that you do not do anything that is criminal. This is wrong and this is not right for God's people. You've got to watch your conduct. You've got to watch your life. I beg of you, please. We're living in a day where God is, is sifting, He's watching his, the people. So Lord, my prayer today for these people, that we would walk circumspectly. We would walk carefully, Lord. We would redeem the times where the days are evil. And I pray, God, that you forgive all our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And Lord, even as we move forward, I pray, God, that all the chains that bind the people be broken in Jesus' name, Lord, and loose the chains that bind them. I, I speak the blood of Jesus Christ over you. I close with this. Jesus said, whatever sins you forgive are forgiven. He said to the apostles, whatever sin you forgive, I will forgive as well. So Lord, as I, I stand as a representative of the of the, the the Godhead Lord hallelujah and I ask that you forgive my sins and the sins of your people Lord cover us with the blood of Jesus and let us be white as snow before you Lord pure white and holy before I dismiss you 
We're going to pray for people at the end of the service that need prayer for healing, counseling, ministry, and anything. I've got a very strong team, very strong team of prayer leaders that will minister to you. So at the end of the service, if you need prayer for anything, just please come to the front. The blessing of God the Father, the blessing of God the Son, and the blessing of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God a big praise. Praise the Lord. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.